Hey, welcome, everybody. Good to see you. Uh, welcome to River Glen. My name is Ben. I'm one of the uh, pastors here. And we want you to know that uh, River, River Glen welcomes everybody, uh, no matter where you are on your spiritual journey. And River Glen is, is one church, but we meet in many locations. And so here we are in Waukesha. Would you join me? And uh, let's give a big welcome to everybody uh, over in Pewaukee and uh, online, whatever your location. Great to have you uh, with us. Thanks so much for uh, joining us. Well, 2020 was a, a unique year, a year that we will never forget. And uh, I get a kick out of some of the memes that you see on, online. This one kind of describes our household. Uh, it was a quiet Monday morning in September 2053 when John awoke with a need to go to the bathroom. Uh, to John, this wasn't just an, any ordinary day. This was a day he would open the last package of toilet paper that his parents bought in the year 2020. Anybody else have a bunch of toilet paper in a closet somewhere like we do <laughs> in our house? Some people started some new hobbies during the uh, stay-at-home quarantine. For instance, this guy writes, on day 27 of quarantine, my wife took up gardening and I wonder what she's going to plant. I think my wife uh, Marnie had some days like that, uh, just a little too much uh, togetherness uh, sometimes. And uh, it wasn't all bad, though, if you like Mexican uh, food, uh, thanks to uh, old El Paso uh, here, old El Paso to the uh, rescue. You know, maybe the best comparison for 2020 is that it felt like an earthquake, followed by aftershocks. Generally speaking, the uh, bigger the earthquake, uh, the, the larger and uh, more numerous, the aftershocks. And sometimes, did you know this, aftershocks can be more dangerous than the initial earthquake itself. Researchers have discovered that even when an earthquake does very little damage, the uh, emotional and mental trauma can be enormous, causing some people to have uh, PTSD, post-traumatic stress disorder. And this is what 2020, I think, felt like for many of us. When our world shut down last March, it felt like an earthquake, followed by aftershocks that just keep going. And perhaps the area where we feel it the most, where we feel the impact the most in our life is in the area of personal finances. Maybe it's not PTSD for you. Maybe some of us though have experienced PTFD, post-traumatic financial disorder. And that's why I wanna begin a new series today called Aftershock, Surviving an Economic earthquake. And here's what's fascinating about the economic impact of 2020. Some of us have never been better off financially. And some of us have never been worse off financially. Maybe you've heard this before, but economists sometimes refer to it as a K-shaped recovery. And uh, what this means, everybody gets impacted from the pandemic, but for some people, they get that initial impact and then they recover and everything goes up and to the right in their life. But for others, they get that initial impact and maybe some help through the uh, stimulus checks or unemployment, but that's gone. And then things just continue in the down direction and get worse. And whether you find yourself in the top or the bottom, we're still living in fear of the next aftershock and the next and the next. And those who are doing well are worried. And those who are not doing well 
are worried. Here's what probably magnified uh, the, the problem. Uh, many people were just not prepared. Before the pandemic, most people lived without a financial safety net. Take a look at this uh, snapshot of uh, what finances look like in a, looked like in America. And in a typical church, like uh, River Glen, based on a study that was done before uh, COVID. Take a look at this, 26% almost bankrupt and uh, always worried, 59% living paycheck to paycheck, 4% bankrupt and hopeless, and just 11% debt-free and excited about the future. And so that adds up to 89% living without a financial safety net. Think about the burden and stress, I mean, that puts on us and our families. It, it robs us of joy. It robs our future. But God wants to give us peace and help us uh, to prepare. So if I can get personal uh, with you, if, if, you're, if you're a Jesus follower and you'll allow me to get personal, I want you to wrestle with a very personal question today. Here, here's, here's the question. Ask yourself this, am I an economic believer or am I an economic atheist? An economic believer is someone who genuinely believes what God says about money. But here's what I've discovered that, uh, you know, for many people who uh, love Jesus and claim to be uh, people of faith, uh, suddenly when they go through an economic earthquake, suddenly they become an economic atheist. What's an economic atheist? An economic atheist says, I believe in you know, God in heaven and I, I, an economic uh, atheist prays. An economic atheist says yes to Jesus and baptism and even participating in a, a life group, a small group. But an economic atheist does not trust what God says about money and uh, finances. And I want to illustrate this uh, with a, a fence here uh, today. This fence uh, represents God's teaching and God, God's principles about uh, money. An economic believer chooses to live inside the fence of God's instruction. An economic believer uh, lives here because this is where favor and blessing are found. Now, an economic atheist says, you know, I believe in, you know, God in heaven and I, you know, make him the God over my soul and the God of, of, over my addictions and the God over my eternal destiny, but I am gonna do finances my way. I'm gonna choose to live outside the fence of God's instruction. But I want you to understand something, that God, uh, God built this fence for our good, for our protection, and for our well-being. I mean, that's why we build fences, right? I mean, we put fences on the outsides of roads. We put guardrails there so that we stay on the road and we don't go off the edge over the cliff. We build fences to keep predators uh, out away from our homes. Uh, we build fences for our good and uh, protection and uh, well-being. I remember one time I violated a fence when I was a, a, a kid, and uh, I'm gonna confess. I'll go ahead and confess one of my sins uh, to you uh, today. I can trust you guys, right? You're not, gonna, you're not gonna tell anybody. It's gonna stay in this room, right? Uh, well, when I was a kid, when I was about 
I was about 11 or 12 years old. I grew up in West Dallas on 76th Street, right by the uh, Wisconsin State Fair Park. And they had a metal fence all the way around the uh, fair park so that uh, to go in, you had to go through the gate and pay admission. Well, one day, you know, during, during the state fair, you know, my friend and I got kind of uh, bored and came up with this bad idea. And um, my friend, he, uh, this is on 77th Street, he pulled up the bottom of the fence and I squeezed under there and uh, got inside the state fair. And then I pushed the fence up and he squeezed under the fence and nobody saw us. We got away with it. And our adrenaline was just flowing and we thought we were so cool. We got into the state fair and we ran as fast as we could into the uh, fairgrounds. And then the adrenaline wore off and I looked down and I realized I'm bleeding. Yeah, I sliced my uh, pants open and uh, sliced my leg open when I squeezed under the fence. And so I spent the rest of the day limping around the state fair, bleeding, which uh, was not fun. And I never did that again. But I learned that when you violate a fence, when you violate a fence, it can lead to pain and problems and regret. We've got fences for our good and protection and for our well-being. And so today I want to unpack some verses from a book in the Bible that uh, many of us probably haven't read in a while, maybe, never, maybe if ever. It's the book of Leviticus, third book in the Bible, Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus. And the book of Leviticus is all about God providing fences for us, simple fences that lead to life. And so within the book of Leviticus, there are dietary fences, worship fences, ethic fences, relational fences, and there are economic fences as, as well that lead to life to the full. So follow along as I read from Leviticus chapter 18, verses one to five. The Lord said to Moses, Speak to the Israelites and say to them, I'm the Lord your God. You must not do as they do in Egypt where you used to, to live. And, uh, you know, in Egypt where the Israelites used to live, the Egyptians were atheists. Don't do like the atheists in uh, Egypt. And you must not do as they do in the land of, of Canaan where I'm bringing you. Don't do like the atheists in uh, Canaan. Do not follow their practices. You must obey my laws, or we could say fences, and be careful to follow my decrees. I'm the Lord your God. Keep my decrees and laws, for the person who obeys them will live by them. I am the Lord. And so God establishes a fence of his favor. And throughout the Bible, from Leviticus, all the way through the New Testament, God affirms many of those fences and he says, this is where you find life, inside the fence of my instruction. You know, outside the fence is, is fear and worry and conflict and problems and famine and even death. Inside the fence is joy and peace and feasting and life to the full. And this is the best way to survive an economic earthquake, by living inside the fence of God's instruction and God's uh, favor. So today I wanna share with you two of these economic fences that we find in Leviticus chapter 19. Here's the first one, and this isn't for everyone. This first one isn't for everyone. It's only for those of us who have ever made an unwise 
impulsive purchase. Uh, show of hands, anybody ever make an unwise impulsive purchase uh, before? Uh, yeah, you know, if you've ever bought something off an infomercial and it's collecting dust in the basement, or if you can't walk out of Costco or Target or Walmart without 10 things that you didn't know that you needed when you walked in, this applies to you. And so here it is, here's fence number one, live inside your budget. Live inside whose budget? Your budget. Leviticus chapter 19 identifies three different groups. See if you can identify these groups as, as I read from verse 9. God says, when you reap the harvest of your land, uh, do not reap to the very edges of your field or gather the gleanings of your harvest. Do not go over your vineyard a second time or pick up the gro- grapes that have fallen. Leave them for the poor and the foreigner, foreigner. I'm the Lord your God. Do not hold back the wages of a hired worker overnight. Now, as I look at that verse, I see three different groups of people. First of all, um, there's the owner of the land, right? Second is the poor and the foreigner. And third are the uh, hired workers, the employees. Three different groups with three different budgets. Now, here's a question for you. I want you to think about this. Which one of these three groups has enough? Which of them has enough? Our first instinct is to probably say, well, you know, the landowner has enough, okay? But the other two don't have enough. But here's what I want you to understand. If you read this section in Leviticus and you look at it from God's perspective, you will discover that from God's point of view, all three of these groups have enough. For example, God tells the landowner to be generous and to not harvest to the edges of the field. God says, harvest the middle of your field, but not the edge. Why would God say that? Because poor people would walk by the farm on the edges. And God says, I want you to leave some crops on the edge for those who have less. And God says to the landowner, uh, pay your workers right away. They may not have money saved up and uh, don't hold back. Pay them their wages immediately. You say, does God have the right, I mean, to tell landowners, you know, to do things like that? Yeah. Scripture says God owns it all. God owns everything. And then look at the instruction that God gives to all three groups. Do not steal, do not lie, do not deceive one another. In other words, live with integrity. Don't cheat anybody. God says to all three groups, uh, live within your income. Live within your budget. You've got enough. All throughout life, it doesn't matter where you fit. You know, if you're a a landowner, if you're part of the poor, if you're uh, an employee, all throughout life, you're going to wrestle between two emotions, between two feelings, between having enough versus not enough. If you're like me during the uh, stay-at-home quarantine, uh, during the uh, pandemic, I mean, we, we ate you know, all our meals at home. And uh, my wife made some really good food. She was baking treats all the time. We ate really good. She would make, she made some chocolate chip cookies. I love uh, chocolate chip cookies. And, and uh, late at night, I would eat a couple chocolate chip uh, cookies. But instead of saying that's enough, I said, that's not enough. And I had to have of more of them. And the same is true when it comes to money. We all face the temptation to feel like no matter how many dollars we have, It's not enough. And that's why oftentimes our financial pressures are self-inflicted because we try to live on somebody else's budget instead of living on our own budget. But God says to all three of these groups in Leviticus 19, this is enough for you. Live within your budget. 
Live within your income. So how do you do that? I, I want to share with you what I think is the simplest and best financial budget. It's based on God's wisdom from God's word and the advice of Christian financial counselors. And I've taught this for years because it works. And it is so simple and, and, and so full of wisdom. It works no matter what your income level is. It's sometimes called the 10-10-80 plan or it's called the give, save, live plan. And here's how it works. You take that first 10, the first 10% of your earnings, your, your gainings, any income that you receive right off the top and you obey the clear teaching of the Bible and you give to God by returning a tithe, the tithe to God's work through the local church that you're a part of, that you're connected uh, to. Now, why do I say that you return the tithe to God? Because if you borrow something from somebody, you don't give it to them, you return it to them. For example, let's say that I borrowed your snowblower, right? And then, you know, I come back with the uh, snowblower and I say, hey, dude, uh, you know, Marnie and I, we've uh, talked about it, we've prayed about it, and uh, we'd like to give you this snowblower. And you're like, what? You know, you can't do that. that. That already belongs to me. And in the same way, economic believers, they return the first 10% of their income to God because it's already his. There's a verse in Leviticus that says a tithe of everything belongs to the Lord. It is holy to the Lord. But economic atheists don't do this because they believe that they're uh, better off living on 100% of their income outside the fence than living on 90% of their income inside the fence of God's supernatural favor and, uh, and, and, and blessing. That's the first 10%. The second 10% of your income, you take the second 10% and everybody likes this part, you save it, okay? Before you, you, know, you head over to Amazon Prime or Target or, or Costco or uh, Walmart, you set 10% of your income aside into an investment fund of some kind. Savings gives you margin. Savings gives you freedom and room to breathe. And then third, the plan says you take that last 80% and you live on it. You pay your taxes, you pay your living expenses, your transportation, your food, your housing. You, you build your budget uh, on, the, on the, uh, the rest of your budget around 80%. You live on 80%. But let, let's be honest about something. Most people don't do this. Uh, instead of give, save, live, you know what most people do? Most people live... And then if there's some left over, they'll save it. They'll save some. And then if there's some left over uh, from that, they'll maybe give some to God. But living inside the fence of God's favor, it means that you give first to God. You involve God in your finances. And then you save that second 10% and you live on the rest. And that's the best way to prepare for and, and survive an economic uh, earthquake. And you know what? Those of us that are parents and uh, grandparents. We need to teach this to our kids and our grandkids. It shocks me how many times I talk to adults and they say, my parents never taught me how to handle money. Parents, uh, grandparents, it's our privilege and it's our responsibility to teach our kids how to get on the inside of God's fence of uh, favor. When our kids were little, we've got three kids. When they were little, I mean, we drilled this into their heads. We'd have three little banks and we'd say, you know, this is where you uh, give 
and this is where you save, and then this is where you can take the rest of it and go and have fun and live with it. 10, 10, 80. So fence number one is live inside your budget, okay? Not your parents' budget, not your friend's budget, not your, not your sibling's budget. You live within your uh, budget. And then here's fence number two. You honor the economic cycle. And you're like, what's the economic cycle? Well, God gives an illustration in Leviticus 19 of the economic cycle where God says, when you enter the land and plant any kind of fruit tree, regard its fruit as forbidden. For three years, you're to consider it forbidden. It must not be eaten. In the fourth year, all its fruit will be holy, an offering of praise to the Lord. But in the fifth year, you may eat its fruit. In this way, you, your harvest will be uh, increased. You know, God is giving us an insight into this economic cycle so that our harvest can be increased. You know, some people read the Bible as if God is, uh, you know, taking something from us. God wants to get something from us. But God always wants to give something to us. God wants to increase our harvest. And, you know, many people will say things like, you know, I just don't understand why I don't why I can't get ahead financially. I never seem to be able to get ahead financially. And God says, it's because I've established an economic cycle. And uh, here's how, it, here's how it, it looks. These are cues from God. You, you sow and then you grow and then you harvest and you do it over again. You sow, you grow, and you harvest. And so what do you do when you sow? Well, when you sow, uh, you, uh, you plow and you plant. God tells the Israelites, he says, when you get into this new land that I'm giving you, I want you to plant fruit trees. You plow and you plant. There's a sowing season. And this, this applies to every area of life. And then you move to grow. And uh, during the grow phase, you weed and you uh, wait. And uh, we just like both of those, don't we? I mean, I hate both of those. I hate pulling weeds, don't you? I hate to pull weeds and uh, I don't like to uh, wait. You know, I just noticed something that this actually says grow weed uh, right here. And that's not what I'm saying. Okay, I want to be clear. I'm not saying grow weed. That's not what I mean. I mean, grow is a season, okay? And during this season, what you do is you weed and you uh, wait. God says, you, you plant a fruit tree. Did you catch that? And he said, he said, wait, you plant the fruit tree. You wait three years, and the reason that you wait is because it takes about three years for the roots of the tree to grow deep and for the branches to grow strong. And did you notice in the fourth year, when you finally get some harvest from your fruit tree, who does it go to? It goes to the Lord. God says, I get the first harvest as an offering of praise because I'm the one that provides uh, for you. But then the fifth year and following, I mean, you're gonna have an incredible harvest and harvest is a time when you reap and you reward. And then you take some of those blessings from your harvest and you do it all over again. You sow, you grow, and you harvest. Now let's apply this. I want to talk just for a moment to the 20-somethings and the 30-somethings that are in the room. When you're growing up, okay, people are sowing into you. Your parents, your family, your teachers, your church, they're sowing into you. Your parents are helping you get an education. Your parents are helping you develop your uh, character so that hopefully uh, when you get into your 20s 
And in your 30s, you can enter the, 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 the grow phase. It takes a lot of weeding and, and waiting, but the grow phase is just an incredible opportunity in, in your life. And then hopefully that'll continue. And maybe when you're in your 40s, you'll begin to experience some of the harvest uh, stage. And that's why in your 20s uh, and even in your 30s, you're not going to be able to live at the same economic stage as your parents because your parents, if they did it right, they're probably in their 40s and 50s. And they're over here in the, in the harvest stage of life. But this is what it looks like to honor the fence of God's favor and get on God's economic cycle. Now, question for you, which one of these phases do we enjoy the most? Harvest, right? I mean, some of us are like, you know, I wish it could just be harvest, harvest, harvest. That'd be awesome, wouldn't it? Harvest all the time. But if you adopt an economic cycle that is only harvest, 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 uh, you're gonna go bankrupt from buying too many things that you can't afford. You see, without the planting and plowing of the sow cycle and the weeding and the waiting of the grow stage, if you just you know, wish for the reaping and the warding, it's not gonna happen. But you can write a new story. You can do like a young couple in our church by the name of Ryan and Sherry have done. I want you to hear their story. Take a look. My name is Ryan Weaver. And I'm Sherry Weaver, and we've been coming to River Glen for 16 years. We started on the FPU journey on our own. We always felt like something was missing a little bit, and so when we had the opportunity to join the FPU group here at River Glen, we jumped on it, and that really brought us really a sense of community. We did everything like everyone else does. We had a mortgage, we had a car payment, we had credit cards, we had debt. And we thought that was okay, that was normal. But now we've come to realize okay is not good enough. God wants more for us and he wants more for everyone. Through this program, we've learned to become better managers, you know, for God's kingdom. We committed to a budget. I thought the budget was going to feel restrictive, but actually we felt more empowered to know where our money was going and take control over it. It's a relationship builder as well. It, it really helped us strengthen our marriage. We locked arms and we were united in this goal and nothing was gonna stand in our way and we were walking with God together and having financial freedom takes that weight off your shoulders so that you can really turn your eyes to God and look out for other areas that he's calling you as well. And that led to, you know, kind of a culmination of this year. We were able to actually pay off our house. And without, you know, debt and without, you know, even a house payment, you know, we were able to help others. And God reveals his hand every step of the way. I was a fearful giver, meaning that when I would give, there would be this little bit of fear, like, oh, what if we needed that? And we went from fearful givers to cheerful givers. Now we're like, oh, what's an opportunity we can give and support? We are just so thankful for everything that God has done in our lives, but thankful for the opportunity to be able to take His resources and put that to work within His kingdom work and His will here on earth. And we really want everyone to know the love of Christ. 
it is amazing to see the financial donations being used to accomplish that goal. And you see that through uh, people getting baptized, people being invited into the church and getting an opportunity to know God in a way maybe they haven't before through community outreach locally through Pewaukee, Waukesha, but nationally and internationally to help share the love of God. That's, that's really exciting. It's funny how you feel blessed when you can bless others. And th that's how we feel. We feel absolutely blessed that we can be a blessing to other people and we're so thankful that we can do that. Let's give Ryan and Sherry a hand. I really love their story. Appreciate them opening up and sharing with us. And I love the way they honored God's economic cycle. And they sowed and, and they went through the growth phase. And they beginning, they're beginning to experience harvest in their life. And one of the tools that they talked about that really helped them and I know would be transformational in your life is uh, Financial Peace University. We also just refer to it as FPU. Marnie and I, we have never taken FPU before and we just started with our uh, life group uh, a couple weeks ago and I am just highly impressed with it. It is excellent. What has surprised me about it is it's not just great it's great financial information, but it is highly inspirational. It is motivational for uh, everyone. And uh, for those of you that are in the grow phase, I mean, this is a perfect time in your life to take FPU. Those of you in the harvest uh, phase, you are going to get inspired and you are going to discover and learn things that are going to help strengthen your finances. This is a great opportunity for everyone. And uh, we, gotta, we have a great... Uh, opportunity right now uh, with this. We're, we're getting ready to launch a bunch of uh, FPU groups uh, next month, early next month. We're going to start a Sunday night uh, group in Pewaukee and then Monday night and Tuesday night groups, classes in, in Waukesha. And uh, we're also inviting our current life groups uh, to do FPU, which is what our group is doing. Normally, you pay, some of you that have taken it know this, you pay $119 to take this class. But we've made an agreement with the publisher for a limited time. River Glen has paid the fee and everybody in our church, everybody can take uh, FPU for free. No fee and you get access, we give you a code, you get access to all the materials, and, uh, and, and resources, and so this is a great opportunity. I hope everyone will, will do this, and if you wanna sign up, it's real easy. You, you can uh, just go to our website, or you can stop at the uh, uh, Connect Wall in the, in the lobby. I'm excited to see what God's gonna do through FPU, taking us to new levels of peace and freedom in our, our finances. In the video, Ryan and, and Sherry talked about how they thought they were okay financially, you know, they were living like everybody else, but they realized that God had more for them. And I wonder, what if God has more for you? What, what if some of us are misled or uh, misinformed uh, about finances? What if some of us are deceived 
about money. You know, I came across a story about uh, deception, about a, a doctor named uh, Ignaz Semmelweis. How'd you like to have that name, Dr. Ignaz Semmelweis? He was a, a, a famous doctor in Vienna at a research hospital in the mid-1800s. He was an OBGYN, but this hospital faced a challenge because they had such a high death rate for babies. One out of 10 babies delivered by Dr. Semmelweis died and they couldn't figure out uh, why the death rate was so high for these babies. But then Dr. Semmelweis uh, took a, a leave for four months and something amazing happened. More uh, babies started living. Fewer babies uh, died, which, which seemed strange and, and left them puzzled. Well, back then they didn't understand germs and it was a research hospital. And so Dr. Semmelweis would be working on a cadaver and then he would go over to the maternity ward and he would deliver a baby without washing his hands. And they started to make a connection and they established a new fence, a new guideline, a new principle. When you worked on cadavers, before you went and delivered a baby, you washed your hands with chlorine and lime and an amazing thing happened. More babies started living just because they started washing their hands. What if God, what if God has more for us, but we're unintentionally undermining what God wants to do in our, our lives? What if God has more for us, but we miss out on, on blessing and, and freedom and peace and life to the full that God wants to bring into all our lives. And so I want you to ask yourself again, am I an economic believer or am I an economic atheist? I'll tell you what, I've worked as a pastor for a long time, for, for many, many years. And here's something that I can tell you uh, with confidence. Most people, you know, the majority of people in the church the majority of the people you know, outside the church, the majority of people in America are living outside the fence. They're living like an economic atheist. But here's the good news. God has more for our uh, lives and he wants to invite you to come inside the fence. Listen, if you trust God to forgive your sins, if you trust God to take you to heaven when you die, why not trust him? Why not trust him in this area of life? This is the best way to prepare and survive an economic earthquake. This is the, this is the best way to experience joy and peace and life to the full. And so I wanna invite you today to get inside of God's fence. Live inside your budget and honor God's economic cycle. Let me pray for us. God, thank you for how your uh, word applies so, so practically to our lives. But God, I know it's easy for us to feel discontent and develop a harvest, harvest, harvest mindset. And so God, please help us to practice self-leadership so that we can get on the inside of the fence of your favor I pray that you'd give us wisdom and strength to live inside our budgets and honor your economic cycle. 
And may we have that spirit today and in the weeks to come that says, if you lead us, we will do what you lead us to do. And as a result, we will experience life and hope and blessing just as Jesus intended for life to the full. God, we thank you for being concerned about every area of our lives. And we lift up our prayers with gratitude in Jesus' name. Amen.